All right, let's get the show on the road. Another great edition of the Real Estate Coffee Break is coming up. Folks, we've got so much to cover today, I can't stand it. And we've got a great crowd, a lot of people here this week. Um, and a special thank you to our sponsors. Let's get right to it. I've got to find where my controls are. Gone again. How is, ah, there, there's some. Not very good. What's that? Oh, sorry about that. Okay, we want to go here and here. Bingo. Did that work? I think it did. Uh, so special thank you to our sponsors this week, Bill Preston at American Comfort Heating, Cooling, and Air Quality. But also, we have a brand new sponsor, folks. This is, that, this is weird, um, Home Meteorite Shield. They are our newest sponsor here on the EMR network. And the idea, you've heard about Home Title Lock. You've heard about uh, Home Water Supply Insurance. But have you purchased, how are you going to protect yourself against a meteorite? Here we see an actual photo of a meteorite hitting the surface of the earth. This appears to be in Africa, so obviously it didn't impact any of you. But for only $14.95 a month, Home Meteorite Shield will constantly monitor your home, and in the event that it is hit or destroyed by a meteorite, uh, you'll be notified so you can take the actual uh, appropriate steps. Now look, this is straight out of the Guardian newspaper. Risk of comet hitting Earth is greater than previously thought, say researchers. Monitoring of space objects should include giant centaurs. Look at this. Could rain down debris for thousands of years, astronomers recommend. This is from the newspaper, folks. I'm not making this stuff up. You should be worried. Now, you may say, wait a minute, John, how often has this actually happened? Well, I'm glad that you asked because here is Ann Hodges. How do I get, let me get this out of here so you can see Ann. Maybe I can, there we go. Oh, that's much better. Here's Ann Hodges of Sylacauga, Alabama. And in November of 1954, look up here. I'm going to let you see my little red dot. This is where, this is an actual meteorite. This is an astronomer. This is a police officer who apparently arrested Ann Hodges for having extraterrestrial matter in her house. But look at this, came right through the roof. This was over in Alabama. That's not very far from where you are right now. And in the grand scheme of things, what's more important? 1495 or your home and your family and your loved ones? Hey, 1495. So I just would bring that to your attention and ask you to think about it because look at this. Here is an actual NASA photo. Margie, is my picture appearing on the screen? Yes. Oh, I can't. It's not on this one again. <laughs> this is an actual photograph 
taken from the space shuttle when a massive meteorite um, uh, hit the surface of the Earth. Look at the damage. What would that do to your house? What would that do? But with home meteorite shield, you can protect your home against deadly meteorite strikes. Only $14.95 a month. Call now, 404 373 Please have your credit card ready. Now, I um, also want to thank our good friend Peter Burke out at Reliant Mortgage Solutions, 678-557-9759. I'll bet he has um, meteorite insurance. I, I mean, it's home meteorite shield. It literally puts a shield over your house to protect from meteorites. Now, you should be saying to yourself right now, who is John Adams and why should, why should I listen to him? What, what do you mean? Somebody just yelled, clearly we shouldn't, in the background. Uh, here's some things about me, um, but most importantly, I am an Eagle Scout, and that makes me trustworthy. So we're glad to have you along. A little bit of housekeeping. Please turn off your phone. Enter your questions in Q&A. And we've already had two or three. This will be about a 45-minute presentation, then we'll do some Q&A. The recording will be available for three days, and we do have an eviction cheat sheet. I almost said something wrong. I'm a highly trained broadcast professional. Folks, don't try this at home. Eviction cheat sheet is available on the Real Estate Coffee Break website. And uh, if we send a survey to you, please answer it. Three goals for 2021, stay occupied and collect your rent. And if they're not paying you rent, I want you to go ahead and try to evict them. We're going to talk about that today. Second, second, I want you to boost your income and lower expenses at all levels. In, l listen to me. In the next... 100 days, it's very likely that 150 million Americans will be vaccinated against COVID. That's just based on, and, and see, more is rolling out constantly. And so what I'm saying to you is, and I know this from my studies um, of this situation, In the next 100 days, 150 million Americans are going to be vaccinated in addition to the 50 or 75 that already have. And we will see in less than two months, three months at the outside, a massive deceleration in new cases of COVID. Once we hit about 200 million people being vaccinated, it's got nowhere to go. I'm not saying it's going to just go away. I, you know, um, don't don't uh, uh, cancel me because you don't believe in what I'm telling you. I'm just telling you there's going to be a massive deceleration. People are going to go back to work. The economy is going to roar because that's exactly what it was doing when COVID hit. Do we have a lot of businesses that are closed? Yes. Will there be new businesses that come right behind those? Yes. Sorry. 
So that's a fact. And you'll be able to boost your income and lower your expenses at all levels. And finally, your goal number three should be, and let me go back to screen share here. There it is. I'd like you to borrow as much as you can for as long as you can. I said that if I could get a 100-year fixed rate loan, I'd take it now. Okay? And guess what? John Schaub is with us today, and he'll have something to say about term of loans. And it's really interesting. So let's forge ahead. Uh, we've got so much to do today. Holy mackerel. Remember the basis for this program is that you can retire comfortably on as few as 10 rental units. Uh, you don't need 100. You don't need 500. You can retire comfortably on 10. And that's the whole basis of the show. Here are topics. The CDC eviction ban. I'm going to show you my hit on Fox 5. John Schaub's going to give us a focus report. I've got a deal of the week for you. We'll talk briefly about frozen and broken water pipes, and we'll get into that more next week. Then we'll have a mortgage minute with Peter Burke. I'll be talking about whether or not you need an LLC, a limited liability company, and then we'll talk about how to make money in real estate. In the second hour, we're going to be focused on more landlording topics, and uh, we'll be talking about eight steps to getting started as a landlord in real estate investing. So I hope that's helpful to you. So let's jump in on our friends over at the CDC. Have you ever been by there over on Clifton Road? The thing looks like the Pentagon. It is unbelievable. Massive. Um, and clearly money is not an object. Well, this came out this week from the something like the Texas Legal Bar Association or something. I don't know. Let's watch it. Can I be evicted during the COVID-19 pandemic? In September of 2020, the Center for Disease Control issued an order to temporarily stop evictions for people who owe rent. The end date for this order has been extended to March 31st. The order prevents qualified people who are behind in rent from being evicted. You qualify if you meet several criteria about your finances and inability to find new housing. The order only protects people who owe rent. Your landlord can still evict you for other reasons. To delay an eviction under this order, all you need to do is give your landlord a copy of a signed declaration form. If your landlord files for eviction with the court, Give your landlord and the court a copy of your declaration. For more details, including a declaration form, information about who qualifies for protection, visit our guide to evictions during COVID-19. Well, I don't know what the Texas State Law Library is. I'm certainly delighted that they're coming out with this stuff. But the key there was that the ban has been extended to March 31st which is no surprise given the current administration, and I expect it to be extended beyond that. So uh, what can I say? Um, can I be evicted whoop, during the COVID-19? There we go. So when does this thing apply? Well, the tenant must present 
an affidavit under penalty of perjury. That's called the declaration. And they have to state they don't expect to make $99,000. They're unable to make any payment whatsoever, not a penny. And uh, that moving will cause them to become homeless or force them into a congregate living facility. What baloney. So um, it's not a blanket moratorium. The magistrate courts are open. You should go ahead and file your demand notice. Just you can do tack and mail for that, but keep a copy. I'd even take a picture of the demand notice tacked on the door. Then go and swear out a dispossessory warrant. Now, if they owe you a bunch of money, remember that the marshal or the sheriff, depending on the county in Georgia, and we've got 159 counties, so it varies, but in most of the metro area, most of the metro Atlanta area, the marshals will deliver the summons. And frankly, they are not motivated or even paid well enough to take the, the accept the danger of actually trying to find a human being. So they just sort of resort to tack and mail. And with tack and mail, we can't get a judgment if they don't answer or if they don't show up. Okay? And I want a judgment. I want a judgment and a writ of possession. And there's a pretty good chance that they will not answer. And even if they do answer, there's a pretty good chance they won't show up. Okay? So you might want to consider using a process server in the county where the property is located. So if you can't find a process server, this is somebody who's authorized by the court to deliver court summonses on behalf of the court and it's not a marshal and you pay them directly and they know you want personal service so they're going to do a lot more work trying to find this person in person they may drive by 10 times a day just to see if there's a car in the driveway whatever but uh in any case once the summons has been delivered they have to answer or a writ of possession is issued, they're gone. They've got seven days to move out, and then you can set them out on the street. Now, we are still dealing with some counties where the um, marshal's office or the sheriff's office doesn't understand their responsibility. These things will start clearing themselves up. But the, the, the marshal or the sheriff is not in a position to say, oh, well, we're not going to do a set-out. We're just, we're not going to do set-outs for a while. They can't do that. And at some point, uh, the governor needs to get involved, or certainly the Supreme Court, the Georgia Supreme Court needs to get involved and order. These people are officers of the court. They've been given a, a writ, and they uh, have an obligation to enforce it. So... Um, if if you get personal service and they don't answer or they don't show up in court, you're going to not only get a writ of possession, but you're also going to get a money judgment. And that's entered immediately against them. <clears throat> it stays on their record for, I think, 10 years. Judgments, I think, are 10 years. And you can renew it indefinitely if you want to. I'm telling you what happened to me. I'm not kidding. Look at me. 
Look at me. Yeah. I had out of the blue a phone call from a closing attorney in California who told me that one of my former tenants was sitting at a closing table and that in the closing instructions, the attorney was instructed to collect $5,000 and send it to me to clear this judgment. It was, I don't remember the exact number, but it was over $5,000. This was five years later. You, I mean, do you think I was sitting around saying, oh yeah, I'll get this one day. Fat chance. Unbelievable. But people do change their lives. They wanted to buy a house. They couldn't buy a house because the judgment was on their credit report. So I'm just telling you, you've got some options now that you didn't have a couple of months ago. The eviction ban only applies to late rent, not for any other violations of the lease. So if you have somebody who's parking their car up on the grass, um, uh, you can determine, it's up to you, if it is an incurable um, event of default. And we have the proper forms to help you um, it, with the Landlord Survival Guide for you to say, I'm sorry, you have, we smelled smoke. This is a no smoking property. That is an incurable event of default. And if you, you were demanding the property, if you don't leave, we're going to uh, go to court. And you'll be backed up in court. The judge is not going to say, well, in this case, we're going to let them violate one of the rules. If the rule in the lease says no smoking and you caught them smoking, or if the lease says no pets and you caught them with a pet in there, see what I'm saying? You are allowed under the Depart United States Department of Justice guidance to challenge the truthfulness of their declaration. So you saw in that little video we watched a second ago, if you get sued or if you get into eviction court, give a copy of your declaration to the landlord and to the judge. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand up and say, Your Honor, we are challenging, as it states in our complaint, we are challenging the truthfulness of the declaration under guidance from the United States Department of Justice. If you want that guidance, go to realestatecoffeebreak.com. By the way, if any of you would like to talk with me live on the air, just like you're phoning in, go to Q&A, okay? Q&A is down at the bottom, I think. Where's Q&A? Maybe up at the top. I don't know why. It, for most people, it's at the bottom. It depends on what browser you're in, apparently. Um, but click on Q&A and say, I'd like to talk with John. And Margie will chat back with you and tell you what to do. And then we will bring you on, and you and I can talk just like the old radio show. How about that? If you want this uh, guidance from Department of Justice, go to realestatecoffeebreak.com and click on resources. And we're about to add a lot more resources. You file your dispossessory alleging your challenge under DOJ guidance and attempt to collect for past due rent and, and everything else, get them into the courtroom, and then um, the judge will suggest mediation. Go for it, because in mediation, that's where you're going to spring a consent judgment on the mediator, the mediator's going to turn to the tenant and say, look, 
if you want to stay, you're going to have to agree to this. And it gives them a chance. They've got to start doing what the lease says, which includes paying rent. And if, uh, uh, if they sign that judgment, let me tell you what happens. It's wonderful. If they sign a consent judgment and then violate it, let's say in the judgment you say they must begin paying $1 a month toward the back rent plus all the current rent. Um, guess what? I'm just telling you, uh, if they don't do it, you don't have to go back to court. You will get a writ of possession and a money judgment ad instanter, which means instantly. You don't have to give them a notice. You don't. Have, you just go to the court and say, Your Honor, they violated your order, and they will give you a writ of possession. Seven days later, you get your house back, and they still owe you the money as a judgment. This is, this is the best that, that I have come up with so far. Hey, I was on Fox 5 last week. Let's take a look and see what we were talking about. Ladies, this is particularly important to you. Well, single women have become one of the fastest growing segments of the 2021 home buying market, and the condominium form of real estate ownership is particularly suited to a single female buyer for a variety of reasons. And among those tend to be enforced maintenance, better location, lower price. There's a lot of uh, a lot of things that are to their advantage. And John Adams joins us now with six tips for single women as they approach the task of buying their first home. John, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Buck. I am great. You know, this is a major change um, in, in real estate buying patterns. We particularly, we are now seeing uh, single women in their late 20s, early 30s step up to the plate and say, I'm ready to buy a house. I'm not waiting for somebody else. Let's go ahead and do this thing. So it really has been a growing force in residential real estate. You got six points here, and we're going to run out of time if we don't get to them quickly. So let's start with number one, which is very important. We're talking about safety. Safety, safety, safety. You know, we all hear about location, but it's not just location. It's also about safety. Is this a gated community? Do they have a security system? And, you know, you're tempted sometimes to get that unit on the ground floor because you have an additional entrance, but that may not be the safest. So all these things need to go into consideration. Number two is a five-year plan. What do you mean by that? Well, we we talk about uh, financial stages in our life and the late 20s, early 30s tends to be tumultuous. So where are you going to be in five years? Your best guess right now may be wrong, but at least it's a guess. And you may be happily single right now. Five years from now, you may be married, have a baby on the way. Change is constant. Think about that now. Maintaining a cash cushion is number three. Very important. You know, I don't want anybody to be cash strapped. And this is very important. With these low interest rates, Buck, the affordability has gone sky high. Still, be conservative if you're the only one who's going to be responsible for paying the principal interest, association fee, the assessments, property taxes, all of these things. Avoid any situation where you might end up cash strapped. You talk about the association rules, and sometimes uh, those are not all created equally. So how important is it to understand the flexibility of those rules? 
rules. Buck, this is vital because every condominium has different rules and bylaws, and you need to understand those very clearly because once you're an owner, you've bought into those. You've said, yes, I will live by this. They may not allow rentals. They may not allow pets. They may not allow children. Find out what you're getting into because you need to be able to rent at some point in the future. You need to know what you're getting into. You mentioned that cash cushion, and that kind of plays along into this one. Your fifth point is plan for the worst and hope for the best. You know, anytime you get a mortgage, you're taking on a big financial commitment here. Probably the biggest you'll ever take on. And what is the worst case scenario? If you're carrying that full housing expense by yourself and you don't have assets that outweigh the liabilities, you are potentially subject to foreclosure. We don't want that to happen. So make sure you have contingency plans. What would happen if I wasn't able to make the payments. Plan for the worst, hope for the best. Your final point, the noise factor. What do you mean by that? You know, in some of these, many of these older renovated buildings, um, they're very charming, but they were not built to contain sound. And so you can hear your neighbors sneezing and coughing in the middle of the night, <laughs> and maybe worse. New construction tends to have more emphasis on noise reduction. They put actually noise reducing baffles in the walls. And so you just make sure you know what you're getting into. Uh, I would recommend means you go there in the evening and listen to see if the neighbor's television is broadcasting <laughs> into your unit. Sneezing, coughing, maybe worse. All right, John, you're going to stick around, right? Yes, sir. I'll be right here. All right. Thanks for your time as always. And John's going to stick around. He'll be here for the next hour to answer all of your real estate questions on our Fox 5 Atlanta Facebook page. And by the way, I would remind you that um, we, in fact, do... Um, stay at the actually we're not at the studio because they're under a stay at home or it's not open or whatever but well seeing a weapon what, um nonetheless um i do this once typically once every two weeks on a tuesday so we'll let you know about it all right we have a big crowd right now and i want you to pay attention for the next 15 minutes because this is john schaub who is a legend in real estate investing, someone that you need to listen to, someone that has been instrumental in my growth and development as a real estate investor. And if I have ever been helpful to you, part of it is because John Schaub has been helpful to me. So listen to what this man has to say. I'm so proud to have him on this show. Watch this. And we are back. John Adams here on the Real Estate Coffee Break. Glad to have you with us this Saturday morning or wherever you happen to be, whenever you happen to be watching this. We are now um, uh, live streaming on, what are we on, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and soon to be Google Podcasts. So we're going to be all over the world. Our very special guest this morning is my friend, legendary real estate investor, author, and most importantly, trainer, John Schaub. How are you, John? Good morning, John. I am doing just, just wonderfully down here in sunny Sarasota, Florida. It's a beautiful day. Well, yeah, I love Sarasota. The only problem I have is that every now and then, God gets angry at you people and sends a hurricane that just sort of flattens the whole thing. We, 
we don't get that much up in Georgia. So well, that was 1961. The last time we had one that came close, and before that was 25. So it only happens about once in a lifetime. All right. Well, uh, good. I think I'll avoid that once in a lifetime then. John, uh, you have a great newsletter that I am a subscriber to. And for January, you made some predictions. In fact, I love the headline. Uh, and it's on our screen right now. It says, Good Riddance 2020, Welcome 2021. Um, the I said earlier uh, on, on New Year's Day, I said 2020 is not a year upon which I shall look back with unbridled enthusiasm. Uh, <laughs> what? You've, you've got some points here that I want to just cover and, and just get you to give us a few words of wisdom on each of these topic areas as sort of a prelude to a more in-depth discussion as time goes by. Okay. Um, John, you said there are eight areas that we need to be watching right now as we go into 2021, and this is really relevant uh, information. What do you think is going to happen with interest rates? Well, John, this may not sound right to you, but I don't care. <laughs> I've been buying houses uh, since the 70s, and I bought houses in 1981. I bought 16 houses, and all the interest rates were 14%. Uh, interest rates uh, have effects on the market, uh, but the, the thing that, that affects it more is the ability to borrow money. You know, if people can borrow they'll go out and pay 14%. People buy cars right now, and some of them are paying 14%. They go down to payday loan people and pay more than that. So the interest rate itself is, is, is not key, but there's different opportunities at different points in the interest rate market. I'm both a lender and an investor. Uh, I don't make loans when interest rates are 0.6% or 3% or 5% because it's not the, the risk uh, is not covered. You know, you need a better return than that to cover your risk. And, and if you're in a real estate business, which I'm in, uh, you have to do some due diligence before you make a loan. I mean, you just don't loan somebody money because they want it. You have to check out the property and make sure you're going to get your money back and make sure they can afford to pay for it. So there, there's some time involved, too. So this is not a time to be a lender. It's a time to be a borrower, obviously. And I've encouraged people of all ages to go out and borrow all the money they can at these rates, long-term rates. Uh, my daughter's here from Australia, and, and the, the best thing you can do in Australia is get a one-year loan. They, they adjust interest rates every year. So wow. to get a 30-year fixed-rate loan at these at these at these uh, rates is is an opportunity of a lifetime, I think. So I said to borrow, borrow, I, borrow, borrow. I, I that's I agree 100. percent I said if I could get a hundred-year fixed-rate loan right now, I'd take one. I don't care about paying it back. I just want to lock You're not in the pay it back. So <laughs> <laughs> you're exactly right. And then, but the, way the, the point that I always kid about in class is I said, how long does it take to pay off a 30-year loan? And people were puzzled. They say 30 years. I said, no, it takes 15 minutes. You know, you call them up, you ask them how much you owe them, you pay them off. You just have the right to pay them that low interest rate for 30 years. You don't have to pay them. Right. Uh, but I don't think we're ever going to see rates lower than they are today. Uh, so today's the day. Borrow, today's borrow, the day. Borrow, borrow, borrow. So when is the best time to buy? The best time to buy is when you find a deal that you want to buy that's going to provide the benefits that you're looking for. You know, if you're starting out, you're probably trying to get your first million dollars. So you want to buy something that's going to make you a, a chunk of that million dollars, which doesn't mean you're, you're not going to buy it and sell it and make $5,000. That'll never get you to a million. You want to buy something that you're willing to hold for a long time. It'll double in value and then double again and then double again. So it has to be something that you're, you're willing to own for a while. 
And uh, the best time to buy is when you find that particular property. But you want to, the key is focus here is knowing what you want to buy. And, and once you know what you want to buy, particularly, you know, what, what neighborhood, what type of property, what price range, how much down, what kind of financing, then you're that focused. When you see it, you'll know it, and you make the offer and you buy it. You know, one of the problems I see is, uh, I always say the deal of a lifetime comes along about once a month if you're ready. Um, people just let deals go because, well, they weren't planning on this opportunity coming up mm -hmm. and uh, they don't know what to do. And then, pow, it's gone. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think the best time to buy is right now. I think you're right. Um, why would anyone put money in a savings account right now? Well, I have a bunch of money in a savings account and it, for two reasons. Number one, it helps you sleep better. Uh, no, number two, I'm ready for opportunity. You know, you want to be ready for opportunity. And and the, the, we're talking about the best time to buy. If you're just looking from a price standpoint, the best time to buy is in a recession, of course, when, when banks are not lending. And if you're new at this, uh, what you're going to see, if you just watch banks lending policies, there are times when banks are, are trying to get rid of money as fast as they can. They'll loan to anybody, and we're getting close to that time again. And then there's times that they won't make anybody a loan. They won't loan to any investors. They give anybody a hard time. And when the banks won't make anybody a loan, prices are become very soft because if somebody has to sell, they have to sell to somebody that will pay all cash because yeah. nobody can get a loan. Well, yeah. that's the best time to buy. But you can't buy at that time unless you have cash or know somebody that has cash. But the prices literally go, go drop in half. I mean, the price you have to pay for something will go down that far if you have cash and you can make a deal in a hurry. All right. So that's why you have cash in the bank. All right. Now, we are seeing just in the last, I think, uh, 12, 18 months, a real sea change in the way technology has allowed workers to be more mobile. How does how does that affect real estate investing and and what trends should we be watching, John? Well, people are moving to places where they really want to live, not where they have to work. Uh, so, you know, instead of taking a job someplace and we won't slander any state here, but someplace where the weather is bad and the traffic's bad and, and it's just not a fun place to live, they can come live someplace fun now and, and they can commute, you know, like we're commuting right now. They can commute on their uh on their, on their computer, and uh, it's so much cheaper. And what people are finding, both companies and people are finding, that they, uh, they're they willing to pay more for a house in a nice area just because they don't have all this transportation expense. They're not commuting to work. Uh, they don't have to get dressed up to go to work. Look at you and me, you know? We, we've got our best <laughs> clothes on right now. Uh, but it just makes life more fun. And I think you're right. I think it's a sea change. I don't think we're going back. I, I think when, you, you know, the, the, the genie's out of the bottle, uh, big companies don't want folks to come to work in big office buildings that cost them a lot of money. Uh, they'd much rather have them work at home because they find now they're very productive at home. So I, I think it's a, it's a new day, you know. So what, from a real estate standpoint, nicer houses, bigger houses, people are willing to pay a little bit more for both rent and, and to buy. So it's been really good for the housing business. I uh, remember distinctly the first time I saw, and you see it on the screen, WFH, and I I said, what does that stand for? And of course, it's work from home. And man, has that been a huge driver in giving people the freedom to live wherever they want to. It just doesn't matter as much as it used to, for sure. Um, 
You said that Uncle Sam, you didn't say it this way, but the, the gist is Uncle Sam has a printing press. What's he doing with it? Well, it is, you know, in the old days, we, they actually would print money. <laughs> but, but the reason uh, Uncle Sam's uh, influence on the housing market is important is, is, is they buy mortgages. So they, 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 they provide the banks with a place to sell their mortgages. So bankers that are, that are lending prop money to, to people buying houses today don't keep those loans. They sell them. And right. the government will buy them at very low interest rates, which they're doing today. That, that's what keeps this market moving. Uh, so they're going to keep doing that. And plus, the other side of it, of course, is, uh, you know, they're going to spend a lot of money, I think, on, on the virus. They're going to spend a lot of money helping people uh, keep jobs and keep and stay in their houses. Uh, so all of that's inflationary. Uh, and I don't see that going away. I, I think uh, for the next four years, we're, we're going to have a, a kind of a roaring economy based on the government spending. Uh, our mutual friend Hans Trupp on St. Simons Island uh, always says in the real estate world right now, there's a lot of money sloshing around. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> he's exactly right. And uh, uh, so that leads us to number six, which you sort of already commented on, but who benefits during in, uh, inflationary periods? Well, the people that benefit are borrowers. When, when you borrow money today, and you can pay it back five or 10 years from now with, with a dollar that's really gone down in value by half, uh, you're, you're repaying your debt with 50 cents on the dollar. And, that, and that's why it's so important to, to understand leverage. Uh, you know, the, what the, the flip side of the coin, of course, is the, the thing that, that drives people out of this business and the reason people go broke is, is they borrow money that they can't pay back. So you, you need to understand leverage. You need to understand the business of real estate and know how much you can borrow and how much you can pay back and, and how to best structure that debt and who to borrow from. So there's a lot of moving parts here, but inflation is gonna be with us. Inflation has been with us forever. It's the way the government works. I mean, they, they wanna give people more than they collect and they're gonna keep doing that forever. So, uh, you know, if, if you're a young guy like us, and you're gonna be around another 30 years, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't want to just put your money in the bank and say, I, well, I can take out $50,000 a year for the next 30 years. The 50 grand probably won't buy a pair of shoes in 30 years. You know, yeah, you I think you're have, right. You have to stay tuned in to what's going on. The dollar will continue to go down in value. You can just count on that. Well, that's, um, that's sobering. Um, you say that people are looking for and want investments that can be safe and that can be understood. Would you explain to me how Bitcoin works? Sure. <laughs> you have to call me on a, on a private line, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, then how about um, Robinhood.com and GameStop? Well, you know... Let's just talk real estate for a little bit, you know, uh, people that get into real estate and don't understand it and, and they do it every day. They go out and buy a 10 unit apartment building and they've never been a landlord or they yeah. go out and borrow a million dollars and they've never borrowed money for their life. These things are, 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 are not smart. And, and the reason I have been talking to people about buying houses for a long time now, building wealth one house at a time is because it is safe and it is understandable. You can understand what a house is worth and what it will rent for. You can develop a relationship with that tenant. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not like it's bulletproof or perfect, but it's a lot safer and a lot easier to understand than some limited partnership offering or, or something that, they, that apparently 
interest you like bitcoins <laughs> <laughs> well i i'm proud to say that i don't understand it and therefore kept away from it that may prove to be a a mistake at some point in the future but um our former senator and and uh real estate broker johnny isaacson here in georgia uh, said to me one time, he said, John, uh, last time I checked, there are about 330 million people living in this country, and most of them prefer to live indoors. And I always right. thought that, you know, that people got to have a place to live. And well, the other side of this is you and I have both been married a long time, and we've got this rule in my house is before I buy something, I have to explain to my wife how it's going to make us a profit. And if, so if you can't understand it and explain it to somebody, don't buy it. Well, my, I, I sleep with my accountant, John. I, my wife is a CPA, and she has finally dropped the boom and told me no more houses. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not looking, but um, she says this is enough. There's, there's no reason to have any more. So we'll When's see the last what... time she told you that? Um, <laughs> well, um, about... Three months ago, I think, oh, okay, okay. I, I, I accidentally bought a house, and there was nothing I could do. It was just such a good deal, I couldn't walk away from I it. Understand. So. I understand. Um, and one of the things that I have learned from you, John Schaub, is that you always talk about long-term tenants being valuable assets, being the key. What are your thoughts on long-term assets? Because a lot of people just turn over every year and, and there, there are expenses associated with that. Well, you know, I've owned a lot of different kinds of properties. You know, I've owned things as wild as a motel. I've owned apartment buildings and duplexes. And uh, I, I finally figured out that houses were just easier to manage because people tend to stay longer. It's just but, what about, but what about the car wash? Well, there's, there's a whole list of things that I'm not going to talk about, uh, but, <laughs> but uh, that could be a different different uh, day. Okay. But, you know, it, it, if you just think about it, if somebody stays in your house for four or five years, it just keeps your expenses lower. You don't have to paint it for four or five years. You haven't had a vacant day for four or five years. So my goal has always been keep my tenants as long as possible. There's there's two parts of the equation here, the, the, the income side of it and the appreciation side. And the houses that I've owned for 20 or 30 years have appreciated a lot. So I know if I hold on to them for a long time, I'll make a lot of money. But I have to buy something that I will hold on to. And the key to that is a tenant who will stay in a property for a while. So if I ever buy a house and I, and I get a tenant and they move out after a year and I get a tenant and move out after a year, I just get rid of that house. I want a house that, that attracts somebody because it's in a good neighborhood and it's the right size uh, that will stay five or ten years. And I visited with a lady yesterday who's been in my house 22 years. And she wants to stay there the rest of her life. And she's my age. So she's got another 30 years to go. Those <laughs> At least. You know, as, you know, and my average tenant stays about 10 years, you know, because we take good care of them, but we give them a good place to live at a fair rent. That's fantastic advice. John, you have uh, uh, been a pillar in the real estate education community, and God bless you for it. The I, I think the biggest fear everyone should have uh, approaching any kind of investing is not understanding what they're getting into. Mm -hmm. And you've got some education coming up on April 24th on the internet. Tell us a little about it. Well, my good friend Peter Fortunato and I get together about once a year and we do something. And Peter and I have known each other since the 70s. Our kids all grew up together. We've owned property together. We make deals together. But we, we're synced up 
in many ways about how we how we see investments, although we take totally different approaches. So it's, it's really fun to have two people on uh, on the seminar who uh, are going on. We're on the same track, you know, but uh, uh, but we're in different cars, <laughs> you know, uh, but we get there, you know, we get to the same place. But anyway, Pete, Pete's, Pete's the smartest guy I know. He, he's very honest. He, he tells you exactly the way it is, and he's very easy to understand. So between Peter and I, you'll get a whole bunch of information on how to really do this. We've both been doing this full time since the 70s, since we got out of school. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so we know a lot about the business and uh, we're happy to explain it to people because we, we, we'd like to keep you from making some of the mistakes that we made over the years. Well, that's exactly why we have the real estate coffee break. I thank you so much for, for your time this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to spend a little more time going in depth into uh, all of these points that we're looking at right now. Um, I'll have that information about the April 24th event. In fact, I'll bet it's in my inbox right now, and we'll post that right here. John Schaub, thank you for your time, and look forward to seeing you again real soon. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure. Well, guess what? I still haven't bought any Bitcoin. Um, and I know people that are getting out of real estate to get into Bitcoin. I just don't understand it. Would someone please explain to me what is the lure of Bitcoin and what is it backed by? What I don't understand the idea of cryptocurrency. Somebody needs to explain that to me. But in any case, I thought that was great advice from John Schaub. And over the next probably eight weeks, we are going to be spending a little time with him looking at each one of those topics. And I am really excited about it. And I appreciate his willingness uh, to visit with me and with you. And we are beginning to attract viewers and listeners from not just the Atlanta metro area. So, and John Schaub, of course, has a national reputation. So, Oh, good grief. i got to quit doing that. The deal of the week is right here in front of you. Now, I have not checked to make sure this is still available, but I think it is. If you want a color inkjet printer and you don't want to pay a lot of money, here's one for 50 bucks. Now, this is a teaser price, and I'll tell you why. I think... And I don't know this to be true, but I think that if, if you buy this and print some pretty pictures, and I'm sure it can, and Canon is a very good name, and it's wireless, and that's pretty cool, um, but you will run out of ink fairly quickly, and the ink costs are sky high. Now, I don't know how much these ink cartridges are, but my advice is look into that because I know there are some other brands of um, color printer that um, have larger reservoirs, uh, that was a French word, uh, of ink. But if you just want a color printer that comes with a starter supply of ink and you don't mind buying replacement cartridges or refilling them yourself, uh, this is a heck of a deal. I've looked at my business, and 
I don't really see that I have any need for a color inkjet printer. But if you had kids or you were into photography or something like that, um, you know, it might be fun. So anyway, that's your deal of the week. Uh, down from $79 at Target. Target. And uh, uh, I would move on that today. I would go to Target.com and enter Canon Pixma MG3620 and see if it's still out there. That's all you need to put in. Canon Pixma MG3620. And uh, hopefully you'll get one of those if you want one. What's next? Ah, let's talk a little about frozen and broken water pipes. Actually, we're going to save that until next week um, because I'll be talking with Gordon Katz about that. And so that's what we will do. Um, we are going to be joined right now by my friend Peter Burke, who is going to tell us about how quickly it's now possible to get closed. Um, I've got it. No, no, I'm all set. Thanks, Marge. Margie is the administrator of this meeting and she doesn't have the script. See, this is the script. Does everybody see that? I have a script here and she doesn't have one. So don't adjust your television set. We are in control of the vertical. We are in control of the horizontal. Stand by. You gotta share my screen. And go right here. Pardon? Sound. I only, you only have to do that once. And then you come over here and click this. Watch this. Okay, we are back here on the Real Estate Coffee Break. I'm John Adams, and our special guest, Peter Burke, joins us. Hello, Peter. How are you, sir? Hello, John, and everybody out there. Thanks for taking the time to listen to me to this morning. Well, as everybody knows, you are a senior lending officer with Reliant Mortgage Solutions right here in Georgia. And I have to tell you, as you already know, Margie and I are happy clients. Um, and uh, I continue to appreciate the great work that you guys are doing out there, you and Sean. But uh, today, you've got something different for us. What is it? John... I, we call it, if you're serious, then so are we. And this is the reality of 2021. Why don't you bring up that slide? Let's do it. Yes. Whenever you're ready. Excellent. I'm not sure John, what I'm happened here. I was trying to get these to do one at a time. There we go. I'll cut this out. So, loan tip number one, if you're serious, then so are we. Peter, what does that mean? John, it's 2021. The, the, the home buying market is extremely competitive. Yeah. And there are two things that realtors and home sellers want, and that's top dollar and a quick close. Well, yeah, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head because um, if you've got a multiple bid situation, I had a listing last week that closed. We had five offers simultaneously, and it was in the, a really bad time of the year. 
Um, and you're right. We wanted, we didn't want to accept an offer from someone that wasn't going to be able to get their loan, and so we required them to move very quickly. And yes. lenders, as you know, are not famous for moving real quickly. Correct. And that's where I think a small mortgage brokerage like Reliant Mortgage Solutions can shine. In addition to great rates, we can, we can address that financing contingency and give confidence to that agent and that seller that we'll get that financing contingency cleared in short order. And that's the key to a successful uh, purchase. And, and so what time frame are we talking about? I remember um, back in the, the dark ages, we used to say, never write a contract for less than 30 days. 30 days, you know, that's still a reasonable time frame. But back up, a seller and a listing agent want to make sure that they're they're going to spend time with a buyer who's qualified. So right. they want to get through that financing contingency as soon as possible. And it's traditional that a financing contingency can go 14 or 21 days. But when you can deliver a shorter contingency of seven days, that makes your offer stronger. <laughs> wow. How do you do this in seven days, Peter? As I say, it's a race. We're all running it and we need everyone to be prepared and be responsive. And if you're a home buyer, get your documents ready. Be prepared. Have a conversation up front with your lender. Learn what they want. Go find your bank statements, your pay stubs, unfreeze your credit report. When we send you disclosures electronically, sign your disclosures that day. You know, let me tell you, this is interesting. This house we just closed, um, the buyers were from another country and they were uncomfortable with the e-signatures which nearly blew up the contract because we were having to print them out and then scan them and get them back into the uh, contract management system and the ink was the wrong color and all of that. And the e-signature works so well. It, uh, it's better than printing, downloading, signing with a pen, then scanning and then emailing it back. Take five minutes to learn how it works and do it as soon as you see that email in your inbox. Don't and wait. Here's a great piece of advice. Be responsive to your lender, and your lender will be responsive to you. That's not always the case, and I can tell you that. It's always the case with you, but <laughs> there are people out there that just think, I've got $100 million in the pipeline. I don't need to call people back. Yes. You know, I want to be clear. Um, we can get that financing contingency addressed quickly. The appraisal contingency, um, we may still need additional time because that's a third party task that gets outsourced. And appraisers want to uh, get business and they want to accept orders and they're, they're held to the fire too and we try to get an appraisal done quick, but the reality is that may be a 14-day requirement. Appraisers sure. do not work for lenders. Well, and that's certainly a, a uh, 
a turnaround, it, and we all know the reason why. There was some major fraud going on at one point, right? Um, and and that's pretty much behind us now. So maybe that's worked. Um, but I want to take I, I want to uh, part two of uh, appraisal contingencies. Believe it or not, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will waive the requirement for an appraisal if they have data on that address of that home that they can um, internally validate the purchase price without requiring an appraisal. In That's some instances, on a purchase, we don't even are required, but it's not all the time. I'm stunned at what you just said. So yeah. the, it's almost like desktop underwriting, except desktop appraising. If yes. they if they have the data that that their artificial intelligence or underwriters or whatever thinks they need, they can they. I mean, realistically, there's a possibility they'll waive the requirement for an appraisal. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, yeah. is that a turnaround? Well, and, and I will, I will say, um, appraisal issues aren't like they were four, five, six, seven, eight years ago, where properties weren't appraising. By and large, um, on purchase agreements, we're able to substantiate the, we're able to have an appraisal that supports the purchase price. Well, and I have always said, Peter, that the contract the agreement between the parties is theoretically a a, a, a self um, a self solving problem in that we're looking for that price at which a seller is willing to sell and a buyer is willing to buy. Isn't that what the contract is? And that, of course, is assuming knowledgeable parties and no undue pressure and all of that stuff, but. You know, the reality is in most cases, the buyer and seller don't know each other and the buyer wants to get the best deal for the buyer, seller wants to get the best deal for the seller. Absolutely. So self-fulfilling is what I meant to say. So anyway, well, this is very interesting. So what I'm hearing you say is if anybody's thinking about buying a house, they need to call you now before they even Learn find the house. And start. learn if they can do a seven day financing contingency. Wow. Folks, I'm telling you right now, this will move you to the top of the line as far as the seller and the listing agent are concerned. If you can say, hey, I've already started my loan process. Here's a card from Peter Burke. Call him. He and, and then Peter can tell him I've already got this, this, this and this. It looks good and blah, 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 blah. Um, we had five offers, Peter, four, we could not get the information that we felt the seller needed. And we just moved on to the one that, that had what we wanted and closed. So you're right. It's a race to the closing table, isn't it? A absolutely. All right. Well, there's your mortgage minute, Peter Burke. Uh, people can reach you at that easy to remember number six, yes, seven, John. eight. You've got it. There it right. is, everybody. It's uh, 678-557-9759 or O-S-U-J-L-R-W-S-K-Y.
Absolutely. One or the other will call me. <laughs> Peter, thank you very much. I look forward to Thanks seeing you time. again soon. Okay. Talk to everybody later. Thank you. Okay. Uh, okay, great. Um, okay, we are back. Wait a minute. Now, real quickly, I want to talk about, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we do this? Let's have, um, well, I'm trying to figure out. We have more information than we're going to be able to cover in this hour. And uh, I think the LLC information is very important. And I want to cover that, and then we'll take a brief intermission. And then I'm going to invite on my friend um, and evil twin, Ian Robbins, and we're going to talk about eight ways. We've also got some questions that we need to answer that people are wanting to ask. So let's talk briefly about whether or not you need an LLC. An LLC is a form of a Georgia corporation. LLCs are available in all 50 states. And if you own or manage rental property anywhere, you should consider placing ownership into a limited liability corporation. One of the questions that I get constantly is, well, I own a rental property in Tennessee. Should I have a Georgia LLC that owns it, or should I have a Tennessee LLC? Either one works. But if you are a, if you have a Georgia LLC, which is a form of Georgia corporation authorized by the Georgia Secretary of State, if you have a Georgia corporate entity own property in another state, then you will have to register in every state in the union requires this. You have to register as a foreign corporation. So not only are you paying Georgia corporate fees, which I think is, Margie, do you remember? Is it 50 or 100 bucks a year? I just, I, it slipped my head. Hundred, um, yeah, I think it's a hundred bucks a year. And somebody put that in Q&A. Tell me what the correct amount is. Um, and then you would also be paying a Tennessee um, fee as a foreign corporation. Uh, every state wants to know who they're dealing with and and even though that would still give you privacy, to me, it seems like just a duplication uh, of expenditures. But LLC stands for Limited Liability Company, or in this case, Corporation. Um, and you can use the letters LLC after just about any word. By the way, I learned something the other day. Um, if... if What's a good example? Let's say there was a company called Atlanta Real Estate Investors, okay? Incorporated. Atlanta Real Estate Investors Incorporated. And that was in 1990. And in 2005, they were, um, 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 what is the word? I can't 
I'm, I'm having all kinds of memory problems today. They were, um, uh, rem what is it when the Secretary of State dissolves them? They were, they were dissolved by resolution or dissolved, whatever. When a corporation is dissolved, according to the Secretary of State, the Secretary of State will hold the name for five years. And if that happened in 2010, then in 2015 or 2016, they would release that name again for somebody else to use. So if you see, if you go searching for names on the Georgia corporate search, um, administrative dissolution, that's what it is, administrative dissolution. And that's where you just quit paying, and after about a year, Secretary of State just dissolves your, your uh, entity. And so, um, but if you see a name, let's say you were looking for a particular name, and it's already taken, always check to see if it is still functional. Because if it's not, if it's been five years and it has been dissolved more than five years, you can apply for and get that name as if there had never been a previous one. And I didn't know that. So that's something anyway. If nobody else has gotten it. Right. If nobody else has gotten it, that's what I'm saying. Okay. So how do you hold title? Most property owners take title by general warranty deed or limited warranty deed, they take title in their own personal name. And that's just the way the vast majority of residential real estate is transferred. Uh, the reason that that is generally done is that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac requires it. Okay. They want your name on title because not only are you signing the note, but they want you to sign the deed to secure debt. And they have this idea that if you personally sign the deed to secure debt, then they can somehow have a higher level of success in collection. It's not true. Um, it doesn't matter who signs the deed. The deed's just as valid as long as it's signed by somebody authorized to do so. But that's not the way they think. And so most attorneys are used to dealing with um, taking title in the name of the borrower. Um, you don't want to do that unless you have to. So here's the problem with putting property into your own name. There's a lot of information available at the courthouse or um, there is a new site called the Georgia Superior Court Cooperative Clerks Association. G-S-C-C-C-A. Can you think of a worse acronym? G-S-C-C-C-A dot org. G-S-C-C-C-A dot org. That is where you can go almost, well, I'm not going to say all, but many of the larger counties in Georgia, most of the larger counties, population-wise, in Georgia, have digitized their courthouse records. And this is a site where, for free, you can get a limited-use pass. Now, that's obviously for limited use. 
but I was able to search records the other day. They have a new pass that you can apply for. I don't know how limited it is. I just looked up one thing, but it's there. Um, and so, and it's relatively inexpensive. I think it's like 10 or 15 bucks a month is unlimited. So, but you would have access to the courthouse records of all these counties and more and more are digitizing all the time, which means you would have access not only to current information, but they usually go back a few years. Okay, so what's at the courthouse? Well, the name of the owner of record and their mailing address. If that's you and you're not using a P.O. box, all of a sudden people know that you own the property and here's where you live. That's too much information for me to give to the public. It's none of their business what I own, and I don't want them snooping. I've had people knock at the door, and, hey, do you own this? It's none of your business, okay? <clears throat> so I would rather have a corporate entity and a different mailing address or a P.O. box or something like that, so I'm not going to be bothered by people. Second, it has the fair market value. Now, I realize this is a number that comes from the tax assessor, and I realize it's probably wrong. Uh, even so, the tax assessor, the tax commissioner and the tax assessor are under mandate from the state of Georgia Department of Revenue to keep their county tax digest within 10% of actual value at all times. I don't know that they do that, but their claim is that um, they are at least within 10% of market value. Now, I see all the time when they're not, and of course, they're over sometimes too. But my point here is, if you got nothing else on a house, and you don't, so, so let's say John Adams owns this rental house, I'm, on, I'm the owner of record, my home address is right there uh, on, as the mailing address for the taxes. And all of a sudden, uh, this same person can go look and see that the house is worth, let's say, $200,000, okay? They can also, using the information at the courthouse, check out the mortgage situation. Now, they can't get the current balance, but very few investors, very few will pay ahead on a mortgage, especially when <clears throat> interest rates are as low as they are right now. The smart landlord, the smart investment owner right now is refinancing, pulling out cash, locking in for 30 years, and if, unless they could get more. I thought that was very interesting, what John Schaub said in Australia. You get a one-year loan, one-year adjustable. And uh, what a boondoggle for the banks to readjust everything every year. Well, the point here is if you assume that the house, you know the mortgage date, you know the interest rate, and you know the date it was originated. All of that is in the security deed. So you take those three things and simply run an ammo schedule based on the start date of the mortgage, assume it's 30 years, and you're going to come up with a balance. And assuming they haven't paid any more than that, 
you know that is the maximum the balance could be, right? Now, it might be lower. For example, it might be a 15-year loan, or they might have been making double payments. Who knows? But that would simply benefit you if you wanted to sue the person owning this house. Okay, so if you were the tenant and you had a slip and fall and you rent a house that I own and we found out that I own it, where I live, we know it's worth $200,000 according to the county, and we know that there was a $50,000 mortgage on it taken out 10 years ago. We run an ammo and that's now down to 39000 Now, it might be lower than that, but it can't be any higher because you're not allowed to miss payments on mortgages, right? You with me? Okay, so now we know who I am, where I am, how much the house is worth, more or less. We know how much is outstanding, at least the maximum amount might be less. And that way you simply subtract the outstanding mortgage balance from the market value and you can calculate the equity in that property. So here we've got a $200,000 house with a $39,000 maximum mortgage on the property. What does that mean? That means that there's at least $161,000 worth of equity available if somebody sues me for a slip and fall that occurred at that house. Um, they can sue for a million dollars, but it's not going to do them any good because I don't have a million dollars that they can get at. But I do have one hundred and sixty-one. And because the accident happened at this house, it's available. It's, it is accessible on a lawsuit like this. If you do a search, this is also available at the courthouse. And this is another reason I don't want to have things in my name. John Adams is a very common name. But let's talk about somebody whose name is um, um, Hop Singh. That is, in this country, an unusual name. First name Hop, H-O-P, last name Singh, S-I-N-G, or S-I-N-G-H. <clears throat> you can very easily, on these courthouse uh, sites like this Georgia Superior Court Cooperative Clerks uh, Association uh, website, you can just enter in the county, show me everything that's owned by First name Hop, last name Singh, and it just pops up. Now, if you do John Adams, you're going to have a lot of property show up. But if I'm in a habit of putting my home address or even my P.O. box there, you can figure out which ones are mine. Okay? But Hop Singh, you know, the more unusual the name, the easier it is to find. And it turns out that Hop Singh owns 10 houses in DeKalb County, and each one has $161,000 of equity. And guess what that means? That means we're now looking, looking at $1,600,000 of equity, and we are really, we've hit the jackpot. All this information is free at the courthouse, and you don't have to go to the courthouse. Again, the site, I'll share that with you, is GS ccca.org and it used to cost money but they now have a limited use pass and I don't know how much 
the limit is. So we'll see. <clears throat> and so we see uh, commercials like this. Have you been injured in an accident? Get the money you deserve. Call Dewey Cheatham and Howe. And there's Mr. Cheatham. And, um, uh, you know, they all call. One call, that's all. What's his name? Ken something? I don't know what his name. But the point is, he has nothing to lose if he can identify that I'm the owner of the property, I have $1.6 million in equity, all he has to do is file suit, and I'm out of business. And he's in the business of filing suit. Okay? And then he's going to get half. And guess how much he wants to collect? He wants to collect as much as he can possibly get. <clears throat> so, you know, he's going to get 50% of whatever the recovery is. And your tenant has nothing to lose because Ken, I can't remember his last name. Who knows? The accident chasing attorney is going to pay out of his own pocket to go ahead and file the suit after he's done the research to determine that the um, defendant, which is going to be me, has sufficient equity to make it worth his time to go after. If there's no equity, you know what the attorney's going to say? Look at me. The attorney's going to say, uh, well, yes, we think you have a very strong case. We'll, we will be happy to represent you, and we'd like a $10,000 retainer. Ha! Your tenant doesn't have $10,000. Your tenant has never seen $10,000. And so that'll be the end of that. And that's why it is to your benefit to look into using LLCs to make it more difficult for um, attorneys or tenants to find out who you are and um, and how to get hold of you and how much you owe and what things are worth. Okay? So here's the question, and Dyke Spotiford always asks this. If you lost everything right now, could you build it all back? Raise your hand. I could. I mean, it would take a few years, but if I lost everything right now, could I build it all back? Listen, I'm looking right now. I know who's on this call, and I know a lot of you personally, and I know this. You could build it back. There are people on this call that have actually done it. And, and so I'm saying to you, I think the type of person that enjoys real estate coffee break is also the kind of person that if a calamity struck and you got wiped out, you could put your nose to the grindstone and in a few years get it all back and maybe more. Here's the question. If you lost everything, do you want to give it a try? Do you want to lose everything? And the answer is no. I'd rather not give it a try. I'm pretty happy with the way things are right now. And all I'm uh, suggesting to you is that asset protection can come in various forms. And what I'm talking about today is the corporate shield. Um, or the corporate veil is what it's sometimes called, where you are not visible to the public. Only the corporation is. And remember that in Georgia and in most states, if you have a corporation that owns a piece of real estate, 
The law considers that corporation to be on an equal footing with a living, breathing person. Now, you may own all the stock in the company, but you don't, you aren't the company as long as you don't slip up and act like the company. And that's a whole nother discussion, but the corporate veil or the corporate shield is one of the easiest because we can use an LLC. We can use an offshore corporation, although the IRS is trying right now to tighten up on that. There are elaborate trust schemes that will work, but they're very expensive. You can try to set up some sort of family limited partnership, um, which I honestly don't understand very well because uh, I've never really spent a lot of time looking into them. Or you could just move to Switzerland. And I've been to Switzerland plenty, and it's really nice. But it is cold. So um, I don't know what to say. I think the easiest here is the corporate shield. Because in Georgia, you have two choices. You can have a company, or you can have a limited liability company. You actually got a C Corp, an S Corp, and an LLC. And I'm not going to get into the C Corp and the S Corp, except to say that those two have a higher level of state regulation, and it's easier to slip up. The LLC is designed for people who are not employing a big law firm to help them. The LLC law in Georgia and most other states is there to assist small businesses in coming to Georgia and creating jobs. That's why it's here. And it, it separates the owners of the LLC from, and they're called members, not stockholders. In an LLC, the, the owners of the LLC are called members. And you separate the members from the corporate entity. And that's what the corporate veil is all about. So even if they got that house, let's say they pressed forward with the lawsuit. If it's in the name of an LLC and the LLC is valid, then all they can get is the equity on that particular house. And the other nine houses, bingo, we're safe. Now, I didn't like lose, just losing $161,000, but it's better to lose $161,000 than it is to lose $1.61 million. Would you agree with me? Okay. Yes, that $161,000 is at risk because that's where the accident happened. Okay. We can't separate that. Uh, but... The other things that we have in different corporations are going to be entirely separate, assuming we've done it right. And here are the five things you get, and I'm going to wrap this up. We'll have an intermission and come right back with my friend Ian Robbins. Um, an LLC in Georgia can give you privacy. Your name need never appear on the public record. That is not the case with a corporation. Actually, it can be done with a corporation, but it's much more difficult. Um, you get liability protection, personal, and um, you also are separating your assets from liability. So there's 
strong liability protection. And that's personal, not corporate liability protection. You get asset protection by having your assets in different pieces. Let's say you own 10 houses and you have them in 10 different LLCs. And the only thing in common is that you are the sole member of each LLC, but nobody knows that. Okay. So um, they can't go after these other LLCs that they can't find and they don't know about. There are no management restrictions, which really gives you tremendous flexibility in terms of family planning and how you want to run things and, and how you want to do estate planning. Um, and I know that's a little bit out there, it's sort of in the weeds, but it is important. And finally, there are even some tax benefits, not a lot, but because you're gonna be more formal in handling the expenses and revenues, uh, you're gonna do a better job of, because you have to uh, in a corporate environment, you're gonna do a better job of keeping up with expenses and that's gonna give you some tax benefits. And we can, you know, more things become tax deductible. So anyway, those are just some uh, benefits of the Georgia LLC. And I thought you guys might have an interest in those. So let's do this. I'm going to, we're going to take a break. Let me see if I can find it. Watch this. Uh, Watch this. 55, enter. <laughs> Marge, how about that? Did you see how that worked? She's not paying attention. All right, here we go. Uh, we're going to take a short break for about four minutes. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about eight steps to get started as a landlord in real estate investing. We'll be right back. All right, we are back. My friend Ian Robbins is here. Hello, Ian. How are you? Hi, John. How are you? I am well. Thanks for joining us. We've got um, uh, way too much stuff today. I mean, the inbox is overflowing and, uh, there's a lot for you and me to talk about, not just this week, but this is going to have to flow over. By the way, in the first hour, did you happen to see our new sponsor? This means you're going to get a raise and I am too. It's, um, let's see. It's, um, let me go see if I can find it. No, I've got it here. Hold everything. Oh, Margie says I don't have time. All right. Well, you'll see it on the way out. But we have a new um, sponsor named American Meteorite Shield. And they're going to build a shield over your house to prevent you being injured by a rogue meteorite. <laughs> Sounds like, like a great sponsor. Well, it is. It's just like Home Title Lock um, that for 15 bucks a month doesn't do anything. This is Meteorite Shield, and you can't deny that there are meteorites. I mean, it happens, so we know they're out there. All right. I think Peter Burke, Peter Burke has got more value right now, though. I think you're exactly right. Uh, I, I think we better stay with him. All right. I'm going to... Get over here and get over here. And I'm going to try to advance. Watch this. 
five, nine, enter. Pow. That worked. This is great. I'm still learning how to use this thing, <clears throat> but we'll get there sooner or later. And we're now going to present, and we're going to want to remind everybody, if you do have a question, please put it in Q&A. We may not get to it this week because we've got so much to cover, and we are going to end at 1 o'clock. Um, but put your questions and answers in Q&A or your questions. And, um, Ian, we got a really good one here. I hope we have time for it, but there's half a dozen more, so we need to schedule those for our future uh, programs. Any comments? We would love to hear your thoughts. Also, any topic ideas? Ian and I are sitting around saying, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? I mean, we could, I don't think Ian and I could go for more than 18 hours um, talking about real estate. I mean, at that point, we might have to just start over, but who would know? So, um, Ian, I found this and doctored it up a little bit and would like to just run these eight um, steps past you. If somebody came to you and said, uh, Ian, you are the leader of the subgroup, the landlording subgroup at Georgia Real Estate Investors Association. Um, you're a very respected uh, business person, and, and uh, um, we'd like if you were my mentor, um, could you give me a way to get started that made sense that was sort of a step-by-step -step approach? This is what I came up with. And you'll notice, Ian, the first thing I've got right there is something you always talk about at Georgia Rhea is get a real estate education. Ian, what are we talking about? Well, you know what? You need help. You need to learn. You need to uh, have a guide along the way and getting it from books and people and tapes. You've done such a great job in educating so many people, John. That's a wonderful way to start for decades. And education is taught. It's just a, it gives you power in, in knowing what you're doing. It's, uh, it's interesting to me because I recommend John Schaub's book, Building Wealth One House at a Time, as a as sort of a, I, I don't know, I shouldn't use the word guidebook, but as a, a way to get a quick overview of the entire um, home house investing industry in a short period of time. But I learned from John Schaub. I learned from Robert Allen. I learned from Jack Miller. I learned from Dykes Botiford. I've learned from you. And this whole business, if, if you can't wrap your head around what's happening, you shouldn't be investing in real estate. Would you agree? That is exactly right, John. And <clears throat> that's why I really appreciated that I joined Georgia Rhea early and you're you're working with like-minded people and i think that's what masterminding is all about and even the classics of thinking grow rich you want to be around good people talking shop and then you're going to be able to um you're still going to make mistakes but you know who to call and and get back on track 
I have to share with you, I, you know, I don't care what anybody says. There are some people in life that lift you up. And there are some people in life that, that suck the energy out of you that will make you feel not good. And I have tried over the years to the extent possible to spend less time with the people who are sucking my energy and more time with the people who are optimistic and are, are looking for good things in their life. So this leads right to the second one. I have called this either a network or uh, you may have heard me say, surround yourself with a team of professionals because I'm not an accountant, but there's some accounting work that needs to be done if you're gonna be a real estate investor. I'm not a plumber, although in my early days, I have to admit, I did a lot of plumbing, but it was really bad plumbing. <laughs> I'm not a roofer. Uh, early on, I did a little bit of everything, but I was a, a sort of jack of trades and master of none. But I think a network of people that I can rely on to support me in my business and obviously, I'm going to pay these people, uh, you know, and it doesn't, uh, I'm not asking somebody to give me something for nothing here, but that's going to give me confidence going forward. When you talk about surrounding yourself with a team of professionals, one, who are these people? And two, where do you find them? John, you know, it's interesting just getting down to uh, basics and, and you mentioned a plumber. Um I have found that I've had different plumbers and they're all good, but I had a plumber just this week and I had a problem. And, and not only do I get, I think better service, but I could talk through some issues and figure out what the best step is. So it could be in doing repairs, but then there's also a legal network. And then there's people I call there, other investors who have had similar problems. And then there's those who have investing network and I might call certain realtors I know or people who are doing the same type of real estate investing that I'm doing and find out what they think about the market. So there's different networks for different people for different subjects. Well, right. And, and uh, we're talking about a lender and we're talking about a closing attorney who a lot of times uh, these closing attorneys will also answer questions if you just call up and say, I don't understand this contract that, that I'm about, you know, they'll, they're willing to uh, be more involved than just the closing because they want you to come back to them. So, but I think also in that, um, trying to find, I hesitate to use the word mentor because that sort of evokes images of Svengali. Ah. <laughs> uh, but but a person who has more experience in what it is you hope to be doing that is willing to share their thoughts with you. And one of the things Absolutely. I've found about Georgia Rhea, and I'll be honest, about real estate investors in general, is that typically they're willing to share. And, and I think that's a real benefit of an organization like a Georgia Real Estate Investors Association, or, or um, you know, there, if somebody's listening in Tampa, there's a 
Tampa, Rhea. I think there's one in Savannah. I think there's one in Cincinnati. They're all over the place. And I, I think there's a real benefit there. Um, let's move to financial analysis and plan. Why is it important, Ian, to look at your financial situation before you start jumping into real estate investing? You, you got to know which direction you're going, which road you're going to take. And John, for years, you start out your seminars with different types of investing, wholesaling, flipping, and buy and hold. And every time I heard that, I kept thinking about what works for me. Now, it may not be the person sitting next to me when we had meetings. You can sit next to people. But the point is, is that um, you want to determine your, what's going to work for your financial situation. I decided that you were right. You get rich quick, slow. But some people need money faster. And I get that, too. Um, so I think financial analysis is looking at your current situation and deciding the next step. And then your strategy might even change later. You're exactly right. Um, a lot of times people are attracted, I think, to real estate investing because they think it's a get rich quick, uh, find a house, buy it at a low price, turn around, sell it at a high price and make unlimited sums of money. <clears throat> there are problems with that. And one is you have a partner, but it, and that partner's name is Uncle Sam. He only wants half of everything you make. But uh, beyond that, you're separating yourself from the asset and you're giving up all the future benefit. However, you may be at a time in your life where that's the only way that you can get started. That's part of your financial analysis. That's part of a, a five and a 10 year plan. Um, and, and it's painful because we don't like looking five years out. We, I don't even like looking five days out. I, <laughs> I, I just want to worry about this afternoon. But um, that planning, I think, is important. And um, I'll give you an example of somebody I'm impressed with. Steve Loby at uh, Georgia Rhea would be a great person, I think, to sit down with and say, hey, you've been involved in a lot of different things, including real estate, because he has. And um, could I pay you for um, an hour of your time to just talk with you about my current financial situation and your thoughts about some directions I might want to investigate? I think that would be money well spent. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, also, people don't work for, for free and he's a giver. But the point is, is that he'll do some more research and really listen and try to direct you without uh, being too fancy about it and just keeping it simple to the next I, step. He is. By the way, I did not ask his permission. <laughs> if he, Steve, right, Steve's if you're a good kidding. guy. We've had him speak several times. Right. Well, if, if uh, Steve, if your phone's ringing, blame Ian, not me. <laughs> I'm the evil twin. I'm, I'm okay with it. That. <laughs> That's exactly right. Number four, we have here, choose a target location. I'm not talking about the store. I'm talking about a target for where you would like to be an owner. And assuming we're talking about just buying one house a year, um, and I know people like to move faster than that, but I say start slow. 
You can accelerate later if you want, but we're talking about what part of town do we want to live in? Ian, what are we looking for, especially as we're getting started in a, a location that would lend itself to a long-term buy and hold? You know, John, you've taught us well, and to keep it simple for the audience, a three-bedroom, two-bath home would be great in a blue-collar neighborhood um, that you can feel comfortable with the, the dollars invested, and, and then you have then you can create an area that you're going to be looking for, and there's such power in concentrating your efforts because, like you teach too, see houses make offers, and if you know a a 10 mile radius or a five mile radius, whatever it is really well, when a good deal comes up, then you're not being risky. You are understanding what you're getting and you jump in quick and you beat everybody else out and you get a great deal. You know, I hate Zillow because I think they are trying to completely eliminate the retail real estate business and all lenders and all attorneys and all title insurance companies, they just want to take over. Uh, and they're well on their way, by the way. But one thing I really like about their platform is I can say, um, I think the area around Social Circle, Georgia, I'm just, I made that up. Um, I think if I could buy a house for under $200,000 within five miles of Social Circle, Georgia, and uh, it had owner financing available, you can put, you can draw that circle with your finger uh, if you have one of those touchscreen things, which I don't, but I, I, the one you're on right now does that, doesn't it? Don't you have a fancy touchscreen? Uh, yeah, but yeah. I'm pretty lame <laughs> That department. Uh, no, just anyway, get a background. That's, so well, that's see this. That's why you keep your son around. But anyway, you can enter all of those parameters, and you once you've done that, you will get an instant notification within seconds after somebody posts that information on Zillow, and they're tied in to all the companies, all the MLSs, and they're tied into for sale by owner. And so it really helps you, as you say, concentrate on a specific area. But in addition to that, if, the, if we're going to do a buy and hold, I want to know what my revenue is going to be. Um, how can I get a ballpark idea of what people are paying for rent in a neighborhood or an area that I might want to own a house? Well, you know, there are a lot of great tools online, and I respect that. But again, John, you've taught something really well. I've gone on a, in a neighborhood and walked five houses one direction, five houses the other direction. Uh, there's always a mayor in a neighborhood who knows a lot about what's going on, go to the garage sales. I don't want the surprises. I want to reduce risk. And so therefore, if I do my due diligence, then I can figure out the real rental rate in the area. It's interesting because the, the technique that you've mentioned, which I call conducting a rent survey, simply involves knocking on doors on Saturday 
and saying, hey, we're doing a survey in this neighborhood. And uh, and if they say, who's doing it? Either Georgia Real Estate Council. Uh, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, and we just like to ask three questions. Um, what do you like most about living here? And number two, what do you like least about living here? And number three is, do you own or rent? And if you're renting, how much are you paying? And people will tell you these things. It's none of your damn business, but especially if you have a clipboard. It's very important if you have a clipboard because that means you're authoritative, you know? I mean, you wouldn't have a clipboard if you weren't legitimate, right? That's right. Absolutely. Ian, I've never seen a criminal carry a clipboard. They just don't. So get you a, a clipboard. But um, by conducting this rent survey, it does two things for you. Yes, uh, as you said, it gives you a much better idea of what your revenue expectation should be and is reasonable. But it also gives you a sort of close-up look at the kind of people that live around the house you're interested in because that's who's going to be renting your house probably. Um, exactly. if, if everybody that you talk to in those five, five, and ten across the street works for, I almost said Southern Bell. It's not Southern Bell anymore. If they're all linemen for AT&T uh, and you see AT&T trucks up and down the street, guess who's going to rent your house? It's going to be an a somebody at AT&T, which that means they have a good, steady job. I like that. Um, it means that they... Um, even if they don't, if they're laid off at AT&T, chances are pretty good they've been trained well and that they could find something else to do, even temporarily. Um, and it also, it, it, I like the idea of, and this is sexist, and this is a terrible thing to say, but I'm just going to say it. I like the uh, a house or in a neighborhood where the man gets up, puts on his tools, and goes to work in the morning. That's just middle America, the salt of the earth. These are good people who uh, don't have delusions of grandeur. These people are they're hardworking. These are the taxpayers, and they're used to paying rent, and they don't yep. mind. And they're, the other thing is this. They're liable to stay with you um, five or ten years. So, you know, and we, that's one of the things I want to uh, explore with you um, in a future time together is uh, going to be um, tenant retention because it's so important. If you've got a good tenant, hold on to them. Um, decide on your strategy. You know, you've already said it. There are a lot of different ways to make money in real estate. What would you recommend for somebody just starting out? I would recommend first looking at yourself and your needs. So if you need money quickly, then wholesaling might be something you can look into. And going back to what you were saying earlier too, um, John, sometimes you find a deal and if it's not in your target location, it's certainly appropriate to give it to somebody else and make a few dollars. And that's also wholesaling. And I've done that by accident. I just said, this is not for me. I know someone else and um, everybody won because I just didn't want to deal with it. But going back to your question, 
you you have to know yourself first and i, I it just starts with a piece of paper and yourself and, and the pen and knowing what you want maybe you're really good at fixing up houses and you really want to go in and live in a house you can buy the house but it's not looking too good you barely that, can make it in there that is a great strategy but as you point out it's entirely different from finding a deal and flipping it to another investor for two or three thousand bucks and my yeah. wife won't let me do it i tried and it's just not happening well okay. I, um, margie is in the background laughing because that's well, what, when we were first married we did that but that was a long time ago. <laughs> this is, and I've tried it and I've, well, we'll live in this part of the house and you don't have to go to the other part of the house. And, and that just didn't work, but it works for some people and it's got great advantages that they could fix up a house on their off hours and then flip it, do all the legal strategies. It's totally legal to get the right um, uh, 10, 1031 exchange and do it right. Um, and go to the next house. Absolutely. But and and there are so many different strategies. Um, I sort of liken it sometimes to sitting down at a piano. A piano has 66 keys. Now, you may know how to play middle C. Bing, 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 uh, bing. I can, I can move your piano. I can't play, but I can move your piano. Go ahead, keep going. But, but my point is, uh, there's nothing wrong with playing middle C, but there are all other kinds of chords there that it might benefit you to learn about, and it might incorporate into your next deal or broaden the scope of what you might be able to offer to people. So I'm going to, because we're running out of time, I'm going to skip over, find the perfect property because that's, we should make a whole show on ways to find perfect property, but, but, you did. but last but not least manage the property like a pro. And <clears throat> this is something I am just passionate about. I I'm always amazed Ian, when people will call on this program and ask you or me and say, well, I haven't collected any rent in nine months. What should I do? Well, where, where's your brain? What, what have you been doing for nine months? I'm, my head's exploding. So how does somebody manage property like a pro? Or is it better for them to use a service? Well, you know what, John? I love the word survival in your book, Landlord Survival Guide, because um, it's sexy to say manage, but let's survive first. And the point is, is, you know, uh, you, you got to make sure that you're going to be there the next day and not lose the property. So you have to have a baseline of what to do and what not to do. So be the property manager, keep it rented with a good tenant. Uh, you can get fancy with other things later and fixing up and really developing a, better property but first you got to survive and then you can go and from there you're exactly right and different people <clears throat> excuse me have different strategies for different situations and i don't mean to try to make this overly complex but for example our mutual friend john mangum the 1031 guy has higher end properties than i do his are in buckhead and uh he had a turnover and just for fun, he went ahead and replaced all of the countertops with granite. 
Well, in the price range he's renting in, he'll be able to get more rent. I think that's at least that's his theory. And it'll make it easier for him to raise the rent a little bit. The raised rent helps pay for the granite and that's fine. I got news. We've got some apartments out. I would no more put granite in those than the man in the moon because I couldn't get a penny more in rent. And so, you know, not, it's not a one size fits all when it comes to managing the property, but I do know your customer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but I do encourage people to treat it like a business and not like a hobby. So guess what? We've run out of time. Ian, we, we, there's, there's nothing left for us. We, <laughs> it's, it's one o'clock and it's time to go home. So I'll tell you what, Ooh, I have to show you this. You'll love this. Watch this. I'm going to figure out, uh, here we go. No, that's uh... And we are back. John Adams here on the real estate cost. Ah, here it is. Here it is. Check this out, Ian. I want to thank our sponsor, the Home Meteorite Shield. Protect your home against deadly meteorite strikes, only $14.95 a month. This, this is a clip from the newspaper, The Guardian. The risk of a comet hitting the earth, Ian, is greater than previously thought, say researchers. Okay. And this is in print. You can't question this. Um, and and you're saying, well, John, how often does this happen? Look at this. Look at, wait a minute. Let me get my red pointer out here. Aha. Do you know what that is right there? A meteorite. That is a meteorite. This, oh, is, this is Ms. Ann Hodges of Sylacauga, Alabama in November 1954. Something came through her roof up here and damaged, actually she was slightly injured, and she called the police, and they came out and discovered the culprit was this meteorite. And so, and you know, Alabama's not far from Metro Atlanta. Yeah, but now, John, look what you've done, because now my tenants are gonna put holes in the wall and the ceiling, and they're gonna say the meteorite did it. And Well, then you need to make them pay for, you need to make them pay. Look, here's an actual NASA photograph. <laughs> of a meteorite landing somewhere. I don't know where, but you can't deny reality. And it's only $14.95 a month. So I think you should, I'm thinking about making my tenants buy not only renter's insurance, but home meteorite shield from the home meteorite shield company, which I am incorporating next week. All right. Come back, come back next week, everybody, and see what, what John's done with the program. All right, fantastic. The advertisement. All right, well, we are going to say so long, everybody. I, By the way, Ian, you'll love this. We were blocked. I was notified by YouTube that we have been blocked um, by North Korea and Vietnam for infringement on copyright for Green Onions okay. with Booker T and the MG. So we are changing our exit music. Folks, that's a 3 R Mark IV, the John Adams Radio Show. And on behalf of my evil twin, Ian Robbins, this is John Adams, reminding you your financial future is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. Make yours a good one. So long, everybody. Listen to this. These guys are good. <laughs>